This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. No Time to Die. This is the swan song for Daniel Craig playing 007. We are here with the franchise's producers, longstanding producers, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson to talk about Bond's final stand, or at least Craig's final stand as Bond, in the future. Here they are on Crew Call. You know, No Time to Die has come to represent the symbol of the power of cinema, the return to cinema, uh, come you know as as we're as as we still struggle with the pandemic. Along the way, there were various rumors. There was it was being floated to be sold to streaming, and there was a I think a notion of a short theatrical window with the pivot element, you know, like ten days being floated. How did both of you thwart these choices? so that you didn't sell out and keep this film on track to becoming, you know, the billion dollar grocer that it is. Well, I guess, you know, at the time, things were so uncertain, there was so much unknown. So the studio had to be responsible, obviously, to their investors to look at what all the options were. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they presented the options to us. And Michael and I basically, you know, listened to them, talked to them and said, look, you know, this is, this is a film that's been made for the cinema. We have a fantastic relationship with IMAX to have an exclusive window. We actually even had some 3D um, showings. Uh, we had a 3D version. And, you know, we said, we, you know, we're, we believe in the power of the theatrical release and the cinema, and that's what we've always done. And that's what Bond has always done. And we cannot agree um, to go PVOD, not only just for the health of our brand and our movie, but we can't do that to the cinema industry. We can't do it to the exhibitors. We, you know, and we were really, really lucky that Kevin Ulrich heard us, supported us, agreed with us. And, um, and so UA and Universal did, you know, a tremendous job in launching this movie theatrically. And, and it's music to my ears when I hear you say that we helped, you know, we helped kind of relaunch the cinema going public because that's what we're here for, the audience. It's, it's been told to me, I just wrote about this in our, um, in the year end box office, but of course, how do we get the older moviegoers to come out? How do we do it? It's films like Bond, it's films like Top Gun Maverick, possibly even what was Dune. It's, it's those type of 
tent poles for an older audience that will encourage them to come out. It breaks the dam and then they can go to the next specialty film. Uh, so that's the way it's been explained to me. We need more of these types of these, these films in the marketplace in order to get that audience to come to return. And also I think it's also I think it's about, you know, I think once it's it's safe enough, there are no masks. I think this crowd, this this older demo, let's say it's over 45, just comes back, you know. Yeah, I think that's right. I think there's a lot of uh... There's a lot of life left in the in the cinema business for young and old. It's just uh, it's just a bad time now, you know. And unfortunately, this Omicron coming along, you know, we thought we were out of the woods. Uh, certainly, when we released the film, um, you know, we were uh, we were in a good spot there, and and uh, it was fairly safe to go to the cinema, and everyone felt comfortable. Um, you know, um, the Spider Man's had a good run uh, uh, even with the Omicron around. So that shows you how strong a title like that is and that it can bring the people out. The question is about the older people, of course, they feel more vulnerable and, and rightly so. So they have to be cautious. But I think, uh, you know, everyone is optimistic now that with the run of Omicron, uh, we'll be out of the woods and we can then try to resume uh, what, what's normal and then uh, that'll have opportunities for the people to go back into the cinema, the older people especially. Was, can you talk about Bond reaching his ultimate ending here? When did that become apparent? Was it immediately at the onset of Skyfall? Was it something that Neil and Robert, your screenwriters floated? Well, <laughs> it sort of began, the conversation began uh, at when, we, when we opened Casino Royale and Daniel and I were in Berlin. And um, what was great is that, you know, it was, we had opened up and it was a big success and everybody embraced him and it was all great excitement. And uh, he and I were in the back of a car in Berlin going from, the screening there um, to the hotel. And he brought the idea up then. He said, what about if I die at the end? Well, he said, first of all, he said, how many of these pictures have I got to do? <laughs> Which made me laugh that, you know, all the negotiating we've been doing with the agents and everybody. And, and you know, we thought, you know, he was really up to speed, which he would have been, but, you know, he had kind of put it to the back of his mind. He said, how many, and stupidly, I said four, I should have said nine or 10, you know, I should have lied. Um, but I said four, which was what the deal was at the time. And he said, well, how about we kill him off? And I said, yeah, sure. Let's, that's, you know, let's do that. I mean, I, you know, I sort of like, okay, well, let's, we'll talk about it. So, um, that was when the seed was planted and I talked to Michael about it. We discussed it a lot. I mean, we had discussed it over the years because obviously, you know, Fleming had tried to kill Bond off in books and things. So it's always been in the ether, but Daniel kind of planted that idea. And uh, when we went to make Spectre, um, 
you know, we had the whole kind of character arc of Bond from Casino Royale, sort of going from being a military type guy, opening up his heart, being, he thought, betrayed, having his heart broken, Vesper committing suicide and him shutting down emotionally and then becoming the, you know, the, the assassin, the cold-hearted assassin who had, who shut out his emotional life. Um, started with that, then went to Quantum of Solace where he was hell bent on destruction and revenge and uh, to then Skyfall kind of embracing his role and creating a family around him with, you know, Ben Wishaw and Money Penny and everyone. And so when we got to Skyfall where he fell in love and opened up again, um, the thing was, what is the conclusion of that story? And where, where were we with Daniel on the conclusion of that story? And so we kind of came up with the notion that, um, you know, he finally tracks down and faces down Blofeld who was the arch enemy of the whole series from the books through the movies. And when faced with the decision, what to do with Blofeld at that point, you know, he had met and fallen in love with a woman who was the daughter of an assassin who, you know, hated the, you know, her, the, the, the idea of being with someone who was like her father, who was an assassin, a cold-blooded assassin and wanted to turn her back on that sort of lifestyle that he's now faced with, how does he live with her? And what does he do with Blofeld? And we decided rather than him assassinating Blofeld that he would turn him over. Uh, Cause he's, he's, when he's on the bridge there he's looking at Madeline trying to decide what to do. <laughs> and he realizes, realized then that if he was gonna have a life with her he couldn't assassinate Blofeld at that moment, he, she had to see that he had evolved. So he throws away his gun and Blofeld goes into prison. So that was sort of the end. And Daniel decided that that throwing his gun away was the end of his tenure. But then after several months, you know, Michael and I approached him again and said, you know, once he'd had some rest and he had had time to think, we sort of said, it's not really the end of the story, of your story. We still have another chapter. And so that's when the discussions came up about if he were to do another one, what is left in his portrayal of Bond and where to go with it. And so this became the obvious conclusion. And it was just a question of how we could make it work. Sorry, that's a very long-winded answer. No, no, it's fine. It's great. Yeah, I mean, the, the the and the thing about how to make it work was that you know, as usual, the the uh, devils are in the details, and here we are. Um, you know, he can't. Um, you know, how how do you end this uh, if he's going to um, um, meet his demise? Is he going to be? Uh, he can't really be a suicide thing, and uh, even a suicide mission that he. And, and although he always does risk his life and take those kind of risks, but also it, it, it couldn't be a random act where, you know, he's just killed arbitrarily. It had to be meaningful. And it took 
a long time and it took a you know all the writers and Carrie and, and all the writers we had to kind of come up with the solution that we felt was appropriate and 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 he and he felt was appropriate and he and and that uh, and that's where a lot of the effort went when was the first time you told the studio this is how it's going to end and how did they respond i think i was in barbara's house in beverly hills when we had them there you know and well you know they uh, the, it was a surprise i'll say that <laughs> It was a surprise, but fortunately, you know, we have a very good relationship with MGM UA and, and they trusted us. There was a rumor that my producer on this podcast, David Genova and I heard, and that there was two endings to this. Was that just a decoy yeah. to protect, yeah. to protect we, what the real ending was? That's right. We, we, because we had, you know, we're very confidential with our scripts but we have to produce scripts um, for the crew, obviously. And so, and for other people that have to be aware of what we're doing. So we, we basically had an alternative version where we just removed and sort of re, rewrote the ending that would be a decoy. Was there like a scaled down crew on the, when you were shooting that final sequence or anything like that, or was, is there, were there at least a hundred people that knew? <laughs> oh God, yes. I mean, yes. Several hundred people knew. I mean, we're, we're, we were amazed and really gratified uh, that the crew we have were so respectful um, that they, that it never leaked. And not only that, that audiences, the first audiences seeing the movie, in fact, all of the audiences really until now that it's kind of an open secret, but people, really kept the secret. I think they really wanted audiences to be able to um, to live with, within the moment and to have it revealed within the moment. And not and, and, yeah, and so did most of the critics that were in the early early reviewers uh, were, were fairly respectful too. So, you know, it was, um, and, and I think, you know, the audiences do like to go and discover the film without being told the ending necessarily. I think that's, that's um, anyway, that, so it was a, it was, a, <laughs> it was a well-kept secret, that's for sure. Um, so this, you know, uh, you've, you've developed these great female characters and, um, uh, you know, over, the, over these last few films. And I'm curious, what would it take to expand outside the franchise and spin off into another character film or, you know, with Amazon poised to, to acquire MGM, uh, everyone, you know, all these streamers are obsessive about franchise series. What does it take? Does it take a, would it take a great writer such as Phoebe Waller-Bridge? I know there was an attempt to do this with Holly Berry's Jinx back in the, um, you know, some time ago, and that didn't pan out, but I'm just curious. I mean, I guess, you know, I kind of think it's like doing Hamlet without Hamlet, you know. He, Bond is the central figure. Bond is the one who I think people come to see. 
I think the, all, the, all the other characters are, you know, really interesting. And we've tried to make them as interesting and complex as possible, but most of it is how they relate to Bond and in his world. So we've stayed away from it. And, you know, and also it takes a lot of concentration and effort to make these movies. I mean, you know, we spend three, four years making them. Um, we haven't really felt like bifurcating our, <laughs> our, you know, our minds and our, you know, hearts and everything to, to go and make, you know, um, spinoff movies. Uh, also, he is a, you know, he lives in the contemporary world. It's not like, I mean, he's not like a fantasy character, like the Marvel people where you can, you know, you can have Batman fighting Spider-Man or, do you know what I mean? It, it, it just, it doesn't feel right to us, but who knows what will happen in the future. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The, you know, what, what you've done with these Daniel Craig films, I mean, they're gritty. He's, he's not a perfect guy. He's a complex guy. Um, a friend of mine uh, said he's 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 more true to the novel than he ever was in these films and i'm curious have you do you feel you've raised the bar on bond so high that it's going to be a challenge to continue or or do you are we going to continue down this gritty road i mean we're we're here with bond i mean it's it's just amazing these it's just it's really hard to see daniel go it certainly me. is. <laughs> but yeah, it's very hard to see him go, and it's a, he's a it's a tough act to follow, as they say. So, I think we will have a, a challenge trying to, uh, you know, to continue on. But um, we have set the bar high, and I think it's a, it's a challenge we'll have to face. The um. Oh, go go ahead. Sorry, we faced we faced challenges before, you know. Um, certainly, when we were doing Goldeneye, you know, everyone said, "Oh, the wall, Berlin Wall's come down, and there's going to be peace now in the world, and we don't need James Bond. He's a relic of the uh, of the Cold War." And so, you know, we kind of went with that as you know. I put a speech in the film about yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> And said to to Pierce Brosnan, you know, you're a sexist, misogynist dinosaur, a relic of the Cold War. So, you know, we've had to face these things head on before. And uh, yeah, it's a daunting task. And that's why we're not we're not focusing on that right now. We're just celebrating where we are in the present with, you know, really acknowledging Daniel Craig's tremendous contribution to this series. It's so interesting to me that people, I think people have kind of taken him for granted, you know, I think somehow people don't see 
the enormous skill, uh, acting skill that he applies to these roles. I mean, he's nothing, absolutely nothing like the character of James Bond. You couldn't get further away from the character. And yet people, I think, see him on the screen as James Bond and think, oh, he's just being him, which is like couldn't be further from the truth. I, I've always been jarred by his stunts. And obviously there are stunt people, but I mean, just to be on the motorcycle, driving upstairs, uh, you know, running up a girder, uh, that, that is what, uh, that's a talent in and of itself. I mean, seriously, it's, it's like nothing I've ever seen. Well, you like know, when he, when he took the part, he said to us in the room, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it the right way. I'm going to make it. I didn't quite understand what that meant. Barbara said to me, it's important what he said. And he, he did, he spent, you know, six months making himself in, you know, changing his body. I mean, really changing his body. He, um, and, and becoming, uh, he wanted to physically look like a person who could be a James Bond. And he was basically a, a high, he was in the shape of a high professional athlete at the top of their game. And he kept himself in that shape for, uh, for throughout the series. And it's been difficult for him because, you know, he is getting older and he's had certain injuries, but he he's, a you know, absolutely clear that he wants to be, he wants to make it real. And, and he devotes himself to that idea. Uh, so that shows his commitment. But it's not just that. It's not just the physicality because, you know, you, what you have to realize is that Bond, as he was conceived in the books and as he has been in, in the movies, he's not a verbal character. He doesn't sit and talk about how he feels or what he's thinking. You know, he, he's a man of very few words. He doesn't, he doesn't, you know, he isn't uh, putting his heart out on the sleeve. So when you look at how Daniel conveys the internal life, the internal dynamics that he's going through, the pain, the emotional, you know, strife. I mean, you just look at the, the, the beginning of this movie when he's, when he's with Madeline in the, in the car chase. Yeah, it's a fantastic car chase. There's lots and lots going on. But when you go to that extreme close up of his eyes and you're sitting there and the bullets are hitting the, the, the window of the car and the love of his life is saying, James, please, please. We know, you know, what is going on in his heart and his mind and his soul. And it is, you know, he's feeling betrayal, he's feeling anger, he's feeling all these really complicated emotions. And you're reading it all from his, on his face, in his eyes, because he is, you know, a, an actor who is at the very, very top of his craft. And, you know, I, it's, it's, it's so interesting to me that people just accept him as the character and they don't really realize um, just because you're an, an action hero doesn't doesn't mean that you're not really putting in your you know you putting in the the you know the skill. You've made it. I mean, you've you've made him more personable. I mean, it 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 reminds. I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. It reminds a lot of fans of um, 
uh, Her Majesty's Secret Service. Right. You know, where just, you know, what Skyfall did going into his life and then you breaking the form of, you know, Bond's, the Bond movies are no longer standalone films. There's an actual narrative here. And that was mind blowing. It was wonderful. Um, and, and, and that speaks also to, I would say, his nuance with portraying this character. The, you know, the ability to tell, to expand the story here, rather than just being the man who has the license to kill. Yeah, well, it's because he's such a great actor. It gives us a lot of, of freedom and opportunity to really explore the character and develop the stories in a way we didn't feel we could in the past. Are there more stories in the canon to adapt, even among the short stories? Is there still fresh material out there that has been untapped to bring to the screen? We've cleaned that chicken. <laughs> <laughs> we have, you know, picked at every piece of flesh and bone. Um, there aren't really stories left, so to speak, but, you know, as, as Cubby, my father said, whenever you're in trouble, go back to Fleming. And so we always go back to reading the books because there's so much in, you know, in between the lines in those books about the character. And, it, and it's all about the character of Bond, you know? I mean, he, he was, as Fleming sort of referred to him, the, the world saw him as a silhouette. He had to be a silhouette in order to perform his function. And that's where you look at the brilliance really of the original team of filmmakers that made this, series. I mean, they created a new genre, but you know, you look at the brilliance of someone like Maurice Binder who did the titles and just that gun barrel at the beginning tells you everything you need to know. Here's a man who is constantly in the sight of a marksman. You know, he is a silhouette in that moment and he is being hunted. You brought up Pierce Brosnan. I remember when he got that job I, I, and this is all pre-social media. I think everybody wanted to see him as Bond. And a lot of fans want to see Idris Elba wear the tuxedo. Have you had any conversations with Idris about this? Well, we know Idris. I mean, we're friends. I'm friends with him and he's a magnificent actor. And, uh, you know, it's been part of the conversation, but it's always difficult to have the conversation when you have someone in the seat. So, um, you know, I think we have decided that until No Time to Die has kind of had its run and Daniel has been able to, well, we've all been able to savor the, uh, reap the benefits of Daniel's wonderful tenure. We're not going to think about or talk about anybody else actors to play the role or storylines or anything really we just want to live in the moment present and we have the 60th anniversary this year this is it so are um, you doing anything special for that well there is anything a, in the front like is there a, is a there is a music uh, a documentary video on the history of the bond music which uh, we're uh, which we've announced and that's in the in the making and, and underway. And of course, we have other things planned that we haven't been able to announce yet because they're 
they're not uh, firm enough, but uh, certainly we're going to make an effort to do several uh, things this year that will celebrate 60 years. I mean, what 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 other franchise has been able to do that? And it's a tribute, as Barbara said, to you know the original people, uh, Cubby and Harry, and all the the, the team that made those uh, those films uh, in the 60s and the 70s, and and um, that we're all here today. And I think we need to celebrate their efforts and their work and their lives. So we will be looking at uh, doing all of that this year and devoting ourselves to that uh, as well. Have Robert and Neil began laying out any kind of beats? Nope. Just an outline. <laughs> Nothing. Proper nouns, <laughs> verbs? <laughs> no? Not, not a comma. When could we expect to see the first female filmmaker behind the franchise? I'd love to have a female. Well, we got Barbara. What do you mean, female filmmaker? That's that's. Well, I mean, but direct, directing, directing. No, I'd love to do that. I mean, we would love to have a female director. So you know, we'll just have to see what happens. We'll we'll start the process. Um, you know, sometime, sometime this year, I guess, and um, we'll see where it takes us. It's always about. You know, what we tend to do is we tend to come up with an idea for a storyline. We start to flesh that out. Once we have something kind of reasonably concrete, that's when we go out to directors. And that's when we sort of decide who would be the best director for that particular storyline, rather than just, uh, you know, having a generic idea. Um, but Bond will always, will always be theatrical. They're like... This this Amazon. I'm, I'm sorry to. Yes, definitely on our watch it will be theatrical. Yeah, I'm I'm sorry to address the the elephant in the room, but of course Amazon, possibly taking MGM. I think everyone, including the people that work at MGM, are curious what happens next, and and nobody knows until all of this goes through. But as far as you're concerned, Bond will always be on the big screen. Period. Absolutely. That's what we've been told so far. So, so good. So far, so good. Um, you you had mentioned a, some advice that that Dad gave about you know when in doubt go back to Fleming. Can you share with me other advice that he provided both of you on maintaining the success of the franchise? And when have you had to? kind of divert from that in order to adapt 007 to the times. I don't think we've ever diverted from the advice he's given us um, because the advice he gave us was so profound and profound and practical at the same time. I mean, that's the sort of man he was. Uh, he didn't waste words, you know. He said, you know, he obviously told us we had to be brave. Mm -hmm. We had to take risks. Um, he said, don't let temporary people make permanent decisions, which has always been a really good one, particularly in Hollywood, where you got a lot of temporary people <laughs> making permanent decisions. That's, that's holy right that there. Holy. That's what I told you, you know. Profound and practical. Um, he said, 
don't let other people uh, screw things up. You know, if you you can screw things up, you can make a decision and screw something up, and you own it. But don't let other people screw things up. Uh, so you know, things like that. Go back to Fleming, you know, which was always a good one. So we go back. Not only do we go back to Fleming, we go back to Cubby. <laughs> you know. Um. One of my final questions here is the most challenging sequence to shoot in the film. You know, that opening sequence, which is so much about betrayal and is a fantastic action sequence. I mean, you're literally shooting a, a motorcycle chase and you've done this before. You've done this in Quantum of Solace, a number of films where you're just, you're shooting in these skinny alleys. How do you do it? It's just, I mean, the grand landscape of it all and the just, it, it, it's, like, a, it's you, like doing a ballet on a high wire. We, we did it with uh, uh, IMAX cameras, you know, that whole sequence is IMAX cameras, film cameras. So, uh, and, uh, you know, they're a bit fussy and they're big and they're, uh, they're hard to handle and you need specialists to do it. But you know, our director was uh, animate. That's what he wanted to do. So that's what we did. And uh, it really came off exceptionally well. And it's quite amazing um, how our team really brought it off. Uh, it's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the answer is that we have the best people in the industry. We have Carrie Fukunaga. We have Lena Sangrit. We have Chris Corbold. <laughs> we have, uh, you know, the best stunt people, stunt performers, and we have Daniel Craig. I mean, we have the best of the best. So, you know, nothing is impossible when you have these incredible technicians and artists, and that's what we do. I lied, this is my last question. So you've done this great thing in um, Bond May Change, but the actors that play uh, supporting characters do not. Going forward, or can we expect Ben Wishaw to continue to play Q, Rory Kinnear as Tanner, Ray Fiennes as M? Can we expect that? Or it depends. It just... uh, you know, I can't answer that right now. I'd love, I mean, we love them all individually and collectively. I think we have the best supporting cast. I mean, you look at the people we have. I mean, Ray Fiennes, as you say, Ben Wishaw, Rory, Naomi Harris. I mean, we have the most incredible actors. Um, I would love to keep them. It's just gonna, again, be driven by what the storyline is. And um, and that's for the future. Thank you so much. It's an absolute pleasure. Well, thank you, Anthony. It was been great. I look forward to meeting you in person. Nice meeting you, yes. Nice meeting you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Crew Call Podcast on Deadline. I'm your host, Anthony D'Alessandro, and our podcast series has been produced by David Janov. Make sure you subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts so you never miss an episode.